Coming to you from Jonesboro, Tennessee, at the International Storytelling Center, we'd like to welcome you to Storytown Radio, Jonesboro's original storytelling radio show. All the stories tonight come from folks living right here in the heart of the Appalachian Mountains. I'm your host, Leon Overbay, and with me tonight is my co-host, Lori Olmstead. Thanks, Leon. I don't know about you, but all week I've been thinking about all the things I'm thankful for. Pam and I have, too. We're here tonight with friends and family and, well, friends who really feel like family. And just looking around, I can see we have plenty to be thankful for. And those are the stories we'll be telling tonight. We've gone around town and out on the farms, up in the mountains, down the hollers, listening to and collecting stories from folks who are thankful for one thing or another. And as always, the stories you'll hear tonight are unique and true. Or at least they started out true. We'd like to thank the Tennessee Arts Commission for their generous support of our program. We'd also like to thank those wild women of Jonesboro. And we certainly appreciate their supporting the important stories of Northeast Tennessee. We'd like to thank Nancy Hope and Odie Major for sponsoring the program. And finally, we'd like to thank Main Street Cafe and Catering for sponsoring us this season. And we'd like to thank the makers of Parsley. Yes, Parsley, that smooth, easygoing flavor that enhances every meal. Sprinkle it on or garnish a dish. It just tastes better with Parsley. And of course, frozen toast. Moms, do mornings come too early? Then frozen toast is the answer. From the freezer to the toaster, what could be simpler than frozen toast? Hit it, kids. As for me, I'm really thankful to be feeling better these days. Battling cancer was not something I expected to do this year, but going through it has helped me see how blessed I am to live in this community and all the people who came to help with food, cards, messages, money, and most of all, prayers. That's what I'm thankful for this year. I'm thankful for friends who have become family. My brothers and I just last month felt the loss of our mother when God called her home after she spent nearly a century here on earth. We didn't face that loss alone. Our good friends were there for us, and at her memorial, they came out in the snow that day to sing her into heaven. We sang one of her favorites, This Little Light of Mine. She loved to sing, and she loved the yarn exchange shows. She had her own reserved seat up there every month. Now she's watching us from above in the best seat of the house. Enjoy the show, Mom. I'm thankful for all the activities Jonesboro has, where people can meet their neighbors. And perhaps fall in love. The contra dances, the yarn exchange, the music on the square. All the opportunities Jonesboro has where people can get together to get to know each other better. And perhaps fall in love. Oh, the farmer's market, walking the trails and parks where people can get out and do things together. And perhaps fall in love. Okay, okay. I think that Marcy's trying to get me to say that our fellow cast member Dana and I will be getting married in January. And I'm going to be thankful for that for the rest of my life. (laughs) 
just hearing stories from this cast alone, we know we've got plenty to be thankful for. And this is the time of year when we get together and celebrate it. Which also makes it the busiest travel week of the year. As families crowd into minivans, piling children and casseroles, the occasional pet or two into cars and head to the open road. And that really makes me thankful for the interstates. Did you say open road? This is the busiest travel week of the year. The only open roads you'll find around here are the old byways folks used to take before the highways. Yeah, before 26, 81, and 75, any of my relatives who moved out of the mountains here had a really hard time getting back to visit. Well, depending on the weather, it's still hard to make it all the way up to where I live today, and I don't mind. We're independent folks in the mountains, a little by choice and a lot by geography. The independence kept our community close and our culture intact. Not everyone understood our ways as they passed through these parts back in the old days of the dirt roads. Old days? Well, we still have dirt roads. Or, Why haven't you driven down Shell Road lately? Well, it's muddy now, but it's in the process of improvement. No, I'm talking about the real dirt and mud roads. Hairpin curves, no guardrails, with a 30-foot drop that made your knuckles turn white holding the wheel. Yeah, the good old days. <laughs> when road trips were an adventure. Well, there's still plenty of adventure around here, though. They ever drive a motorcycle down Dragon's Trail in Blunt County? I love that road. It starts in North Carolina, you know. Yeah, but it really gets crazy driving down it in Blount County. Well, did you know that in an 11-mile stretch, there are 318 curves? You don't say. Well, it's not for the faint of heart or the novice driver. Or anyone who gets car sick easily, like my children. Yeah. Not a good way to go with them in the back seat at all. But it used to be. So many of our roads were like that, from the earliest days till just recently. The most improvements started coming during Lyndon Johnson's so-called war on poverty in this region back in the 60s. Before that, a lot of people up in the higher elevations still had outhouses, cooked on wood stoves. Improvements couldn't come until the roads were built to each people. The highways get people around easier, but something is missed along the way. Yeah, the fruit stands, the general stores, and the roadside attractions. Yeah, that. And also, I don't know, some of the magic, the mystery, the things that draw us to live here in the first place. No matter how rough the weather gets or how winding the roads are, or how tall the mountains are. Or the tails. Or the tails. We've got the oldest mountains, the tallest tails, and the windingest roads. I had an old friend of mine from New York ask me once... Why did you move back to Appalachia after your parents worked so hard to get you out of there? And I didn't even have to think. The word was already on my lips. Because it's home. Amen to that, brother. There's 5,000 neighbors living in Jonesboro, and I'd wager a guess and say it's a different place for everybody. For me, living in Jonesboro is buttermilk pie at the Parsons table. Living in Jonesboro, shopping at the Lavender's Grocery, and looking at all the glass jars of candy. It's sharecropping, working eight months straight, buying against the crops during the winter, and never breaking even at the end of the year. Living in Jonesboro is sophistication. Tailors, haberdashers, furniture stores carrying the latest designs from Boston and Charleston. 
a photography studio in 1847, only nine years after the modern camera was invented. It's lawyers, teachers, judges, schools, fine dining, stagecoaches, trains. The last civilized stop before the wild frontier. I prefer the wilderness myself, living in Jones Burrows for trapping, raccoons, deer, wild bears. I kilt me a bar right over there, and I scribed it right in that thar tree. See, D. Boone killed a bar in the year 1760. Of course, some folks think it weren't me because I left off the E. All I can say it was cold out, the knife was getting dull, and the sun was going down. So I left off a few letters. But I killed it all right. I killed it right there. Living in Jonesboro is knowing you come from pioneers, the famous ones who carved their names and forged through the frontier. John Sevier, Davy Crockett, and the Andrews, Jackson and Johnson. And those not so well known, who pushed through other wildernesses and boundaries. The Smallwoods, the Greenleys, the Rays, pioneers in their own time, who made Jonesboro the way it is today. Living in Jonesboro, It's progress. It's making way. It's taking chances. Building roads, building railroads, building power lines, building power. Whatever went west, it came through here first. Whatever was next, it happened here first. We were the edge of America. Aren't you getting a little ahead of yourself? Well, isn't that what they always say to pioneers? Living in Jonesboro is like living in an old house. It's beautiful. There's always something that needs to be done. Living in Jonesboro is patience. And learning to, it's learning to, it's learning to, it's learning to wait for the train go to go by to finish your sentence. Living in Jonesboro is going to school from the very start of this town. Martin Academy, Jonesboro Female Academy, Warner Institute, Science Hill, Crockett, Boone, and Booker T. Living in Jonesboro is missing school because the crops were ready and you needed to eat more than you needed to read. Es trabajar en el campo, 13 horas al día. Para me llamen piscador de tomates. Es tratar de entender el banco o la tienda. Es asegurar que mis niños vayan a la escuela en la mañana y que comen en la tarde. Es aprender el idioma en cualquier rato que pueden. Es el sueño americano. Es mi sueño americano. My father says, it's working in a field 13 hours a day, being called a tomato picker. It's trying to be understood at the bank or the grocery store. It's making sure the children get to school in the morning, get fed at night. It's learning the language in any spare moment. It's the American dream, if you're strong enough. It's Rudy Ryan Ice Cream Shop, getting a Dixie cup filled with fresh peach ice cream or a brown mule. Nothing better on a summer day. It's working at the barbershop late on a Saturday night. The town be wide open, 11, 12 o'clock, until the last bus pulled through. Young guys who caught the bus to Johnson City would stop in for a haircut before heading home. Well, we'd get them out. Cut, clean, and ready for church in the morning. 
It's watching my mama feeding hobos at the kitchen table, and my mama reminded me not to call anyone a hobo. Any of us, Addie, could be in that situation at any time. It's hard times overcome by good people. It's neighbors looking out for neighbors. It's finding home. It's coming home. Living in Jonesboro is the same for all of us. It's home. 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 And coming home. After you've been away, it's one of the sweetest, greatest things I was ever thankful to do. When I was a child, my folks moved up north. And every Thanksgiving, we made the trip to East Tennessee in the backseat of my dad's station wagon on two-lane highways. Stay on your side of the seat. I am on my side. Mom, make him stay on his side of the seat. You two better stop fussing. You better stay over there. (laughs) What are you, the sheriff of the backseat? Settle down. There's enough room for everyone back there. Mom, Nancy's looking at me weird again. I am not. This is how I always look. Oh, so you always look weird? Nancy just says she looks weird. Mom! If you don't stop, I'll give you a reason to stop. (laughs) We've got a long way to go. Don't make your dad angry. You know how he gets. What do you mean, how he gets? Don't you start with me. Here, you better eat this peanut butter cracker. Your blood sugar must be low, because I know you just didn't talk to me like that. (laughs) Yeah, I'm sorry, honey. I I just need to make sure I don't miss this next turnoff. Uh, Just take care of them and let me concentrate. Dad rarely spoke when he drove. He was a machine on the highway, checking the mileage, the atlas, choosing directions that would save the most time. When he spoke, you better listen. You better do what he says. There were times I could swear that his arm could stretch four feet to smack the furthest one of us in the way back, trying to wiggle out of his reach. But we were no match for the old man's right arm. Just stay on your side if you know it's good for you. What if I just put my finger on your side? What are you going to do about it if she puts her finger on your side? Mom! Claire! I'm going to start cracking heads in a minute. Now see what you did. She didn't do anything. You did. Ha-ha, Claire got in trouble. Kids, please behave. I didn't even want kids. I wanted to raise beagles, but you said... Hush up and drive. You'll be sharing a house with those beagles. As the miles rolled by, we were all looking for relief from the monotony. About two-thirds of the way through Kentucky, we started seeing billboards. See the bear at Dogpat Zoo. See the rattlesnake at Dogpat Zoo. Clean restrooms and cold drinks at Dogpatch. I gotta go wee-wee. <laughs> Dogpatch Trading Post was a roadside attraction just north of London, Kentucky, on U.S. Highway 25. It was named after the home of Little Abner in the comic strips. In addition to the free zoo, there was a bargain barn, souvenir shop, barbecue stand, carnival rides, and country hams for sale. Most importantly, in my mother's opinion, there were restrooms sandwiches, cold drinks, and a chance for five bored kids to work off some energy that might otherwise be expended in more destructive ways. We We want to see a dog patch! We We want to see a dog patch! I'm hungry. I want to ride the merry-go-round. I want to see the zoo. Maybe we should stop. The kids can use the restroom, and I could use a cold drink. We only got an hour and a half to go. Let's just keep going. I gotta go wee-wee. We need to get off the road now. 
As Dad pulled into the parking lot, the doors flew open, and we were out of the car before it came to a complete stop. But for us kids, the big question was whether to see the zoo first or go on the carnival rides. Well, the zoo is free. Those rides cost money. Let's do the zoo first. Then we can ask Dad for money. The zoo. Today, the ASPCA would shut it down. But in those days, nobody thought too much about keeping animals in small cages with iron bars and concrete floors. Are candy bars good for animals? I don't think so. That might be why the fox is losing his fur. (laughs) The pathway through the Dogpatch Zoo came out behind the main building called the Bargain Barn. There, they had a couple of ratty-looking carnival rides, a merry-go-round, and a couple of other rides that didn't look too exciting. Meanwhile, Mom had surveyed the restaurant and looked uneasy. Uh, Maybe we should settle for some coats and find some place down the road to eat. I'm hungry. I've been thinking about a barbecue sandwich. You can't get a good barbecue up north. It smells kind of bad. Nah, it's just the way Kentucky barbecue smells. (laughs) It's different from Tennessee barbecue, but I bet it tastes good. Come on, what could happen? Uh, Food poisoning, botulism. Well, I'm getting some. We're already here, and I don't want to stop again. Well, the barbecue did taste pretty good, and Dad was happy to be proved right. He wasn't, however, happy about an hour later, and an hour after that, until we got to Grandma's. The man who didn't want to make any more stops had to make them frequently and urgently. But I won't explain further details. Ooh, can I get this, please? The Bargain Barn was the obvious moneymaker at Dogpatch. There was an infinite variety of artifacts and souvenirs celebrating the American hillbilly, or a novelty maker's idea of what our culture was. Figurines, postcards, and joke books all portrayed the adult male residents of Appalachia as one of the main targets of President Lyndon Johnson's war on poverty. The men were uniformly bearded, with floppy slouch hats, barefoot, wearing patched overalls. The activities in which they were engaged, including operating a moonshine still, carrying a long rifle of 19th century vintage, or most often, sleeping. Females were portrayed with somewhat greater variety, but always barefoot. Look, hillbilly toilet paper. Outhouse ashtrays. Put your butts here. (laughs) And jugs. Jugs in every size and function you could imagine. My goodness, they've got jugs salt and pepper shakers, jugs with honey, jugs with jelly. Why do all the jugs have three X's on them? I think it means they have moonshine in them. What's moonshine? I think it has something to do with cars. Dad said it made Uncle Jimmy wreck his. (laughs) When we all got back to the car, disaster. In those days, when you stopped at a roadside attraction like Dogpatch or Rock City, they put a bumper sticker on your car. Dad would rather have Dogpatch or Rock City tattooed on his forehead than to have a bumper sticker on his car. The maddest I ever saw my dad at someone who wasn't me was when an employee at Dogpatch put a bumper sticker on his new 1965 Chevy Impala. It rendered him incapable of coherent speech. What the... do the... I'll be good, son of a... (laughs) 
Of course, Dad was trying not to swear in front of his kids, but the effort was turning his face dark red and making the veins stick out on his neck. You little... Who told you I put a knot in your... I can't believe you... Why did you? You little... I ought to... Did your mother? Don't get worked up, dear. Let's just go. We'll get it off somewhere. Yep. New car. <laughs> so, after all this, you might think we never stopped at Dog Patch again. But the lure of the roadside attraction still drew us every time. Dad didn't need any more sandwiches there, and he never left his back bumper unguarded. But by the early 1970s, Interstate 75 gradually made its way through Kentucky, siphoning off traffic. The barbecue stand closed. The carnival rides disappeared. The last time we saw the zoo, most of the cages were empty. Finally, the dog patch closed. But not for good. Today you'll find the dog patch trading post at the London, Kentucky exit off Interstate 75. It's a big truck stop now with gasoline and restrooms and a good restaurant and store that has everything a traveler needs. It even has souvenirs. Few are the kind of the hillbilly kitsch you saw at the old dog patch. Eventually, I didn't just come back to East Tennessee for Thanksgiving and Christmas. My roots kept calling me home. Finally, as an adult, I moved here. So to all the travelers coming for a visit or coming home to stay, I wish you a safe journey. And no matter how much you want to make good time, look around at all the roadside attractions you could stop at with your family and also make some good memories. Telling stories about the things we're thankful for. I'm thankful my parents didn't make me get my marriage annulled. My beau and I got married in secret and spent 68 blissful years of marriage together. And two and a half years that were okay. <laughs> it all started back in 1946. I was a senior in high school and the boys were back home from the war. I was especially happy about one special boy. Well, good evening, Tommy. That sure is a pretty fancy car you're driving there. Oh, you know, it's not mine, ma'am. It's from my uncle's dealership. But you're right. It sure beats the Jeeps and transports I was riding in just a few months ago. Oh, we're so glad to have you home, Tommy. And just before your 20th birthday, too. That's next month, isn't it? Just look at you. Still a teenager, but a teenager home from fighting a war. Only a teenager for one more month. What you boys had to go through. <sighs> yeah. But that sure is a nice car. My uncle wants me to take it to the dealership in Knoxville because he can't find any buyers around here. I'm supposed to pick up a used car in his place and sell it here. Well, I'm not surprised at all because folks who might have bought new cars are now spending their money on new electric stoves from Dobbins Taylor. And now that we've got electricity almost everywhere. I know. My uncle even got electricity over in Sulphur Springs. But before I take this car back, I thought I might show it to Lori before I drive it away. Is she home? 
Sure, I'll get her. Laurie! Hi, Tommy. Can I bring you kids some milk and cookies? Mother, we're not children. I've almost graduated high school, and Tommy just got back from Italy. Oh, okay. Well, now you two grown folks enjoy the night air now. But, Lori, now you come in before it gets too chilly. Sure thing, Mom. So, uh, what we talked about last week, did you talk to your folks? I tried bringing it up, but they think I'm just a child. I don't know why. Mama was younger than me when she married Daddy. Well, maybe I should talk to them. I'm older. Plus, I used to babysit you and your brothers. I'll remind them of that, and they'll remember how responsible I am. Um... Maybe not. That sounds kind of strange. Mr. and Mrs. Brunk, I know I used to babysit Lori, but now I'm ready to marry her. You're right, you're right. It doesn't work. Maybe we should just wait. Why should we wait? Don't you want to get married now? Well, of course I do. But you know, married girls ain't allowed to go to high school. You only have a few months left. If you get married, they won't let you keep going. You don't want to come this close to graduating and then mess it all up. I do want that diploma. Mama and Daddy would be disappointed. Too bad there's no way we could get married and keep it a secret. You mean elope? That's a wonderful idea. I I didn't exactly mean... Oh, uh, this is so exciting, I could almost kiss you. But eloping is good... When are you taking another car to Knoxville? Two weeks, I suppose. That's when I usually go. Once every two weeks. Perfect. We can go to Knoxville, so there won't be any busybodies to go and blab. I'll ask Mama if I can go with you, just for a drive in the car. Then we'll get married in Knoxville, and then come back, and keep it a secret till school's over. So, let me get this straight. (laughs) We'll get married in two weeks? Right. And then I'll bring you back here. Right. And where will I go? Home, silly. And when will I get to see my wife? Every evening on the porch, just like now. And when will I get to uh, kiss my wife? Tommy! It's what married folks do, Laurie. Except no one can know we're married yet. Can you tell me again why we don't just wait? Oh, Tommy, get with the times. This is the 40s, not the olden days. We don't wait for what we want. We make it happen. We're the modern generation. We've got to carpe diem. Carpe, huh? I learned that in history class this week from the Roman Empire. It means there's no time like the present. Seize the day. I'm seizing. I am seizing. Saturday after next, we'll go to Knoxville. We're going to get... Shh. Married. (laughs) Will Lori's plan work? Will Tommy come home from Knoxville with an old car and a new wife? Will electricity finally make its way to Possum Holler? Stay tuned. Coming up next is a segment we look forward to every month. 
By listening to this program, you must already know we have people of all ages involved. Two of our young actors are very aspiring writers, and each month they provide us with a unique perspective of things we adults often overlook. Their backyard garden report is something we've all begin to look forward to each month. So Janae, Claire, Ariana, we're going to see what's going on right outside our windows with the backyard garden report. Thank you, Leon. It's been an exciting week. The wild turkeys have been heard multiple times squawking and gobbling like they're upset back in the woods. It's been noticed that they do this when a storm is coming. This time of year, they will also be laying their eggs. In other news, a ruby-throated hummingbird was spotted on my porch this morning. It fluttered away to drink nectar from some other flowers. Locals say that more and more hummingbirds are being spotted this season, and everyone should be on the lookout for these majestic creatures. If you want to attract them, hang a feeder of sugar water or plant colorful flowers. The bees will also like this. And luckily for the hummingbirds and the bees, the honeysuckle bushes are blooming also. But something you may not have known about the wild white and yellow flowering vine is that they're native to Japan and Korea, known as the Japanese honeysuckle. Our native honeysuckle has flowers that are reds, pinks, and oranges. Wow, Claire, I did not know that. That's what we're here for. And this rounds up this backyard's garden report. What's going on in your backyard? Probably more than you think. This is Claire, Ariana, and Janae. Thanks, Thanks for, for tuning, tuning in. in. girls. You know, Leon, each time I hear their report, I always tend to spend a little more time on my deck outside, looking and listening at the beauty right under my feet. Coming up next is Jason with a visit from the Boone's Creek Boys. My brother and I were somewhat mischievous when we were small. Well, mischievous is the term they used then, but only because incorrigible was not used to describe pre-adolescent behavior in 1954. Our dad worked shift work, so we always planned our mischief around the time when he'd be at work. We often held our planning sessions in the closet where we'd close the door, turn off the light, and use a flashlight to plot ways of playing havoc. One day when we were in the closet, one of our planning sessions, I told my brother I had to go to the bathroom. As I passed the living room, I heard my mother talking to someone. When I sneaked closer to the room, I discovered that it was the preacher. My mother was telling the preacher how much trouble she was having with my brother and me. She didn't know what to do. The preacher said he felt he could help out and volunteered to have a talk with us. Well, I did what every seven-year-old boy would do. I slipped out of the house and ran to the woods. <laughs> I knew that in the woods we would be safe. There was no way they could find us in the woods. Then I realized I had forgot to tell my brother, and he was still in the closet. Well, better him than me. My mother summoned us out of the closet. Now, my brother had no idea the preacher had come for a visit, so he came into the living room willingly, maybe even anticipating one of Mom's chocolate cakes. Mom asked my brother where I was, and he said he didn't know. Then our grandmother came in the room and stated that she'd seen me running out in the woods. My brother thought he'd been set up. The preacher said he couldn't stay long enough for them to retrieve me, but said he would have a man-to-man -man talk with my brother. Everyone left the room but the preacher and my brother. The preacher told him, my brother how disappointed he was with the way we were behaving. He then asked my brother, do you know where God is? My brother did not say a word. So he asked him again, do you know where God is? My brother again stubbornly said, not a word. The preacher said, 
Well, I have another visit to make, but I want you to get with your brother and have an answer ready for my question the next time I see you. Well, when I saw the preacher leave the driveway from my hideout in the woods, I felt the coast was clear, so I came back to the house. When I came in the door, my brother met me in the hall and said, we have to talk. Well, I figured he wanted to rough me up for setting him up with the preacher. We got our flashlight, went back to the closet, closed the door. My brother whispered, we're in trouble. I said, what are you talking about? He said, we're in big trouble. God is missing, and they think we done it. When last we left off, Lori and Tommy had planned to go to Knoxville to elope and keep it a secret. It's now two weeks later. Lori and Tommy are on the porch. Their parents are on the living room talking. Aw, look at them out there on the porch. I thought they'd be tired after the trip to Knoxville. But I think I'll tell Tommy it's time to go home. I don't want them getting too cozy. Oh, now, sweetie, I think it's time for you to face facts. Our little girl, she's just growing up. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if, if, if she were to come and ask if she could go steady with Tommy. <laughs> you know, I, I, I just bet that's a fixing to happen. She's too young to go steady. We're not going to have any of that around here. Now, Gary, I gave birth to that girl, and I was just her age. Well, we're especially not having any of that around here. Now, now, you just calm down. They're just sitting on the porch in plain sight. There isn't anything that they can do out there that we can't see. Now, you just sit down and eat your meatloaf. <laughs> I'm a wife. I have a husband. And I am a wife. I can't believe it. I know. Hey, your daddy keeps looking over here. Maybe he thinks we're sitting too close. Scoot over. But Lori, I'm your husband. You just said it. You're my wife. Not as far as anybody else is concerned. Now scoot. Tell me again why this is such a good idea. Everything is exactly the same. No, it's not, silly. Now we're married. Oh, I forgot I have math homework. I'll see you tomorrow. Good night, dear. <laughs> Will Lori and Tommy ever confess their elopement to their parents? Will Tommy ever get to kiss his bride? Stay tuned. Coming up next, we have a story about a family that started coming here in, oh, I think it was 1856. That long ago? Well, being Tennessee's oldest town, we've been a destination for travelers and tourists for a long time. Harper's had a travel section in which Jonesboro appeared. Angie Fellers Mason with the Heritage Alliance took the original travel log, then looked at other primary sources, letters, journals, and she created a one-woman play based on the family travel story about the Harpers. Please welcome Angie Fellers Mason as Annette Broadacre performing a piece from A Sojourn in Jonesboro. Well, I'm very flattered to be here this fine evening with all of you. Rest assured, my fellow travelers, your preconceived notions about Jonesboro are ill-founded. My family and I have been here a week, and that makes me an expert on this beautiful and historic town. <laughs> you can trust my judgment. Now, I know the word Tennessee carries with it certain negative connotations and images, and I had my doubts too, but believe me, Jonesboro is cultured. This is civilization. My family and I stayed in Richmond in Washington, D.C., where we could get anything we desired at the snap of our fingers. 
We've also traveled through some less hospitable places, places where the mountains were so close, it felt like you couldn't breathe. And perhaps you've experienced something similar on some of your travels here. Mother has been absolutely aghast at some of the children we've encountered. Well, children who seem to be more animal than human. But Papa insists they could be the future presidents of the United States. <laughs> and I suppose they could if given the proper chance. The children of Jonesboro may have that chance, and I do not exaggerate. The town was founded in 1779, before the end of the revolution. Its very founding was a what for to crazy old King George and his silly edict restricting settlement beyond the mountains. This is Tennessee's oldest town, bearer of the pioneer spirit, and the people here are very proud of that fact. When we first arrived, one of the menfolk with us said that the town had an old-fashioned, substantial air as if the people who built it intended to live there the rest of their days. And believe me, they do. Now, if you're going to know anything about Jonesboro, you need to know that the courthouse came first. Uh, Washington County, uh, Jonesboro is the county seat of Washington County, so it's a very, very important town. Lots of important businesses conducted here, and lots of important people have lived here. Some still do. The courthouse that is currently standing was built in 1847 after the last one burned, and both of Tennessee's presidents have spent time here, Polk and Jackson. In fact, this town had a hand in forging Andrew Jackson, which is no small feat if you know anything about Andrew Jackson. <laughs> he studied and practiced law right here on these very streets. I've heard some tales about Jackson's time in town, and they're quite salacious. He even fought a duel here, which I know doesn't make this town completely remarkable because Jackson's hot temper led to a quick trigger finger more than once. <laughs> And apparently he didn't even shoot the Jonesboro man. No, they were able to work out their differences beforehand, but the rules of a duel are firm and shots must be fired. So both men shot their pistols into the air. It's a shame, really, and a waste of a perfectly good duel. <laughs> Perhaps the townsfolk could claim that Jackson laid the man flat and buried him under the street. That would make for a better story. Let's see, ooh, ooh, but the second bit I heard about Jackson will not disappoint. It's not exactly for the faint of heart, so if you need to cover your ears at a few points, I completely understand. There was a man living here once by the name of Russell Bean, of the Bean Rifle family. Now, he traveled most of the year for his work, and when he returned home from a rather long trip, he discovered that his wife had a baby. Now, Russell knew that baby couldn't be his, and he was a mean and wicked man, so cover your ears if you must. Russell cut those poor baby's ears right off. Exactly. That is the correct response. Appalling. Of course the law arrested Russell and brought him in for his crimes, and they branded his hand to show everyone in town what he'd done. And here's another foul part. Russell chewed the brand off his very hand and sped it on the courtroom floor. Appalling. He then fled off to his family farm and dared any man to come and claim him. Well, the sheriff tried in vain. He even deputized average citizens in hopes they'd be able to bring Russell in. Finally, Jackson asked the sheriff to deputize him. And what do you know? Andrew Jackson brought Russell Bean in. Here's the funny part of the story. When asked why he came with Jackson when no other man could claim him, 
Russell was heard to say. He's the only man who approached me with kill in his eyes. (laughs) Oh, some of you are looking a bit green. Well, I suppose those weren't the best two stories to convince you of Jonesboro's civility. But I ask you to remember that this town has very deep pioneer roots. Oh, dear, it seems as if I am out of time for the moment. I hope you have a wonderful night. Now, we're back at the Brunk home where Tommy has come to see Lori again. Hi, Mr. Brunk. Is, um, uh... Lori home? She's in the house. What are you doing there? I found this in the woodpile. Must belong to those curry kids. They're always making stuff like this. Quality work for delinquents, don't you think? The thing about arrows is that they work better the more distance you get between you and your target. Yeah. I've heard that. Hey, why are you... Walking way over there. Oh, oh my, oh my gosh. You know. Come on out, Chris. He's gone now. He runs faster than Stevie Hall. (laughs) Thanks for letting me borrow these. You know, I wasn't really going to do anything to him. I I like the boy, but, but doggone it. Don't take my daughter away from me without asking. Better he never does anything else without checking with me first. He'd be a fool to try it. I take my hat off to you, sir. You are an evil genius. Welcome to the club. (laughs) And that's the story of when I got married. And I'm thankful for each and every one of those 70 years. Even the two and a half that were just okay. Growing up, many people around here had a small room at the front of their house, which was used for visitors. It was usually furnished with a bed, a small table, and some to eat, wash basin, and a towel. Travel was hard through these parts. If you had some money, you'd go by stagecoach along the road that runs in front of the theater. But in the early days, more likely than not, folks went on horseback or even by foot, like our beloved Daniel Boone. If it fell dark when they weren't near a town, they'd sleep under the cover of trees. But if they made it to a small town like this, they could use the visitor's room. It was mighty appreciated since the Chester Inn was about the only hotel in the whole region. You know, I guess we still carry on that tradition today during storytelling. We still don't have a lot of hotels, but we get a lot of travelers through here. Two rooms in my home are fixed up for visitors during the festival. And it's just like you described, a bed, a table with snacks, with a few modern additions like an internet password and little bars of soap. We just leave the doors open for them for whenever they get back home. That's also a carryover from my grandmother's day. Didn't know what locks were. Didn't have one on our door. We had a visitor's room at my mama's house. There was a quilt on a rack in the window, and that was our sign that you were welcome. If the quilt was removed, it meant somebody was already there. Most travelers knew these places. Just like they know who to call during festival. Exactly. But these folks usually arrived after dark and left before dawn. It was customary to leave a token of appreciation. It might be a fruit, a pen note, or a trinket to show gratitude. It's like we're living the same story. My visitors from festival always leave me a piece of handmade jewelry they fashion for me. (laughs) 
Let's welcome this week's teller in residence, Lynn Ford. Thank you. Thank you very much. I'm going to tell you a story that, as my pop pops would put it, began once upon a time, about time and a half ago. That meant he was lying. He said it happened in the times of the long-tailed rabbit. That same rabbit that gets in and out of your gardens, only it doesn't look the way he does now. Not in this story. Somebody else was in the story, too. They used to live around here, but they say that these critters moved a bit farther south. Did you know that the alligators began here in Tennessee? <laughs> it's true. If it's not, it should be. Because <laughs> I need for him to be here for the story to work, you see? That long-tailed rabbit was so proud of his long, furry, fluffy tail that he would walk around swishing it high and low, hop around shaking it up and down, a tail bigger than the killer squirrels in Katie's yard. <laughs> a tail finer than foxes. He would keep his nose high in the air and he would hippity hop all around, swishing around that long, furry, fluffy tail. Now, Rabbit had been busy playing his tricks. He had stuffed zucchinis into folks' mailboxes. <laughs> He'd been fighting with the killer squirrels that had gotten into Katie's yard and planted those wild yard tomatoes. And he was thinking about looking for a place where he might get a nice jar of a certain type of corn beverage. <laughs> he was hopping around, nose in the air, head held high, eyes closed, swishing around that furry, fluffy tail. Just hip hop, a hippity hop, and he just kept on bopping. His legs weren't stopping. He was hopping over here and hopping over there, tail held high, hopping everywhere. Next thing he knew, <laughs> He had hopped to the mud at the edge of a mucky, murky swamp along the edge of a fine river. And he realized that that wasn't where he was supposed to be. Well, see, that's what happens when you keep your nose too high in the air. You can't see where you're going. And the place he wanted to be was on the other side of that swampy water. Well, his toes were already yucky from the mud and he didn't want his tail to get yucky too and he didn't know how to get to where he wanted to be in the shortest way possible except for something that you learn in math class take a straight line from one point to the other but that meant he had to get in that water and he didn't want to do that and he thought about something some other critters that lived around there and so he called out across that water alligator I don't know if the gators heard. Could you call that out? Alligator! Gator heard him. Up from the water rose a great big gray-green alligator with his tail hitting the mud, whappity, his mouth opening and closing, and that gator turned around to that rabbit and he said, what you want? Rabbit said, oh, Mr. Gator, I just came by to say hi because I knew you'd be all alone in the swampy water here because, you know, nobody likes gators and I felt so badly for you. Everybody's pretty friendly around here till it comes to gators and I figured I better just come by and say hey, so hey. 
Gator said, what you mean? I got family and friends around here. No, you don't. Don't nobody like gators, not even other gators. And that made me feel so bad, I thought I'd just come by and say, hey, so, hey. Gator said, I got friends and family right here. Don't you believe me? Rabbit said, no, I don't believe you. Show me. Well, that gator turned around toward the water. His tail hit the water slappity. He opened his mouth wide and he called out, alligators, alligators. I don't think they heard him. You better help. And up from the water rose a whole mess of great big gray green alligators with their tails hitting the water slappity and their mouths opening and closing as they looked at their cousin and said, what you want? The gator said, see rabbit, my family and friends, cousins by the dozens right here in this water. Rabbit said, oh, that's cute. You got cute little family. Gator said, it's a big family. Uh-uh. I know about big families. <laughs> See, rabbits been populating since the first days of creation. Believe me, I know about big families. You got cute little family. Gator said, it's a big family. Count them. Rabbit said, all right, fine. I'll count your family, but I know it's a small one. One gator, two gator, three. Wait a minute, the gator toes there. They go with the nose I already counted. One gator, two gator. Oh, wait a minute, that tail. I think I already counted that gator. Mr. Gator, I can't count your family. They keep wiggling and squirming around. But if you could get them to line up, nose to toes, straight line across this water, bet I could count them for you. Well, the gator told his family to line up nose to toes across that water. And the gators lined up nose to toes, nose to toes, nose to toes, all the way across from one point to the other. And the gator turned to Rabbit and said, count them. And Rabbit said, okay, fine. And he hopped on the first one, one, hopped on the next one, two, hopped on the next three, three, four, five. That's five, hopped on the next one, six, hopped on the next one, seven, hopped on the next three, eight, nine, ten. That's ten. And he hip, hop, hippity hopped. He just kept on bopping. His legs weren't stopping. He hopped across that water to the place where he wanted to be. But being the kind of fellow that he was, he couldn't resist. He turned around and called back to the first gator. You got a big family. And thank you very much for getting me to where I want to be. <laughs> well, that last gator that he hopped on was becoming a bit emotionally disturbed. <laughs> See, he'd been laying there in that straight line for a long, long time, and his nose was sticking out where the soft green grass could tickle in it. <coughs> and his toes were stuck. <coughs> in his cousin Gator's nose, an absolutely disgusting situation. And when that tricky rabbit took that hop into the soft green grass where he wanted to be, that Gator hit his tail in the water, wappity, opened up his mouth and snappity, bit off that rabbit's long, furry, fluffy tail. I know it's so sad. <laughs> But ever since then, rabbits have not had long, furry, fluffy tails. No, they've had those soft, little, fuzzy, little bunny buns that you see on their backsides to this very day. Because when that gator took that bite, whappity, that was the end of rabbit's tail. And that's the end of my tail, too. Thank you very much.
we'd like to thank our sponsors, the Tennessee Arts Commission, those wild women of Jonesboro, Nancy Hope and Odie Major, and Main Street Cafe and Catering. And we'd like to especially thank you, our listening audience. Be sure to tune in on the last Wednesday of the month at 8 p.m. on 89.5 FM WETS to hear our program or listen online to WETS.org on HD Channel 1. Good night, everyone. (laughs) 